We've been in a series in Acts for the last 10 weeks um, where we've been seeing this young new church explode on the scene in Jerusalem. We're going to be in, in Acts chapter 8 this morning. Um, so you can be turned there. As you're going there, listen, it's just been this, I, I want to kind of talk about what we've been going over in the last couple weeks in Acts. It's been this unbelievable explosion. This, this young band of 120 people were meeting in a room praying and all of a sudden God did this work and it exploded out into the streets. And next thing you know, after a couple weeks, they've got probably around 20,000 people in this young, small little church. Like, like, 20,000 people out of a group of 100 just sitting in a room to pray. A group of 100 who were cowards a few weeks before. A group of 100 who were not leaders, who were not rich, who were not wealthy, who were not skilled, who were not educated. They just had Jesus and they had the gospel and they had the spirit and God literally just blew it up. I mean, it was just it's phenomenal. I love it. So th this church begins to flip their city upside down. They're influencing everything. I mean, they're literally starting to crack the structures of the established Judaism in Jerusalem. And that causes a response from the leadership. So persecution begins to break out. And this, this young church is weathering pressure and persecution and some conflict that's going on in the middle of it with the widows and what seems to be some pretty serious issues. They, they weather all of that stuff. And when the persecution gets really bad, this church of around 20,000 scatter. And they start spreading out to places like Samaria and Judea. They're, they're moving out from Jerusalem just like Jesus wanted. And as they go out, they're not learning their lesson to be quiet about Jesus. They're still talking about Jesus. So they go out. They're proclaiming the gospel as they go out. And the, God is working and the gospel is spreading. So we find this one deacon named Philip after Stephen gets killed Philip goes to Samaria, and last week we saw that literally Philip shows up in Samaria, and God lets this guy reach an entire city for Jesus. Like this untrained, regular, common guy, not one of the apostles, not one of the pastors, just a regular guy that loved Jesus, reaches a city. One dude. This is crazy, you guys. And God is using him to do phenomenal things. That's, that's where we left off last week. This Revival had broken out in Samaria. So, so read with me Acts chapter 8, verse 26. I'm really excited to see what's going to happen next because God is doing crazy things. So here's Philip enjoying revival and this, this huge breakout of the gospel. And before I do, let me hit pause real quick. I just need you to think about the work that needs to be done if you reach a city for Jesus. Okay? Can, can I just put that in perspective? They got no idea how to do this thing. Like, I mean, you don't have much of an idea because you've only been doing it for a few months. But they've got literally zero idea. And they're further away than the regular Jews. They, they don't believe all the Old Testament. Like, this dude's got discipleship work to do. They've got organization. They've got to get these people in small groups and get leaders trained. They've got to be able to meet in homes. They've got to study the Scripture. How am I going to teach all these people? Like, I've got this city exploding in a culture that feels foreign to me. He's got work to do. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, okay, what's this awesome message? Here's, here's your strategy. Here's, here's the thing I want you to put in. The, the angel says, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Okay, let me just hit pause right there. So here's Philip, all this work. All these people getting saved, it's spreading out from Samaria to the villages around the city. It's, it's spreading. Even as the apostles were going back, they were teaching the gospel. And an angel shows up to Philip. And, and the one thing that he tells Philip to do is leave Samaria. I, I, want, I want you to leave 
this fruitful work. I want you to leave this explosion of people getting saved. I want you to leave this church that needs a ton. I want you to leave it. And I want you to go into the middle of the desert and sit by the side of the road. That seemed crazy to anyone else? Like, I, I don't want to go to the desert. I, I don't like the desert. It's hot. Like, I don't want to sit on the side of the road in the middle of the desert. And you want me to leave all these people? Like, here's what's crazy. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, Philip is in the middle of this exciting explosion in the church. And God tells him to leave to go into a desert. It's, it's crazy advice. You know what Philip does? Just gets up and goes. Doesn't say a word. Doesn't say a peep. Doesn't go, wait, hold, like, time out. Like, listen, Mr. Angel dude that's talking to me right now. You sure you got that right? Like, did you get the right address? You sure it was Philip? He wanted, do you, do you not know what just happened here? Like, you got all these apostles. They're just sitting in Jerusalem doing nothing right now because we're all spread out. Get one of those dudes to go down to the desert. Like, you get someone else. I, I just thought a whole, you're not even leading me to a bigger city. It's not even bigger or better. It's not a bigger ministry. It's not a better ministry. It's, it's smaller and insignificant and dead and dry. And it just goes. Listen, I, I love what we see in, in the early part of Acts. I haven't even highlighted it for you yet. But when God tells them to do something, they just do it. Like it's, it's unbelievably simple. For this early church, they didn't have all the fancy programs and buildings. They just, when God spoke, they said, okay, we'll do that. He says go, they go. He says stay, they stay. He says get together and love each other. You know what they do? They get together and love each other. He says study the word. You know what they do? Okay, let's study the word. Like literally whatever God said, they just did it no matter what it cost them. Like this is one of the reasons why I believe the early church was so explosive and powerful because she just simply did what God said. For Philip, he'd already decided, I'm going to follow God. When God tells me to do something, I'm going to follow him. And here's what that is. Here's what I think that means. That's one of the gospel works that Jesus does in our heart when we get saved. When, when we place our trust in Jesus, tell you what he does. He doesn't make you have to get guilted into obeying him. You don't need to have peer pressure into obeying him. When you get saved, he gives you a new heart and he changes you, and there's some type of desire that wakes up inside of you that says, yes, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to do what he wants. Listen, this, this church exploded because I believe God gave them that type of heart. And I, I want to highlight something for you. You can study this later on your own if you want. But in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, I don't know if y'all are familiar with this, this is about 60 years after this moment, like one generation away, 60 years a little bit older than this church, within one generation, do you know what Jesus is writing to these young, explosive, vibrant, loving, and obedient churches? He, he's writing things like this in Revelation 2 and 3. You've abandoned your first love. I, I got an issue with you. You stop loving me. He's saying things like, man, you tolerate false teaching. Saying things like, man, you're tolerating immorality. Or, or things like, you've got a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Or even worse, the last one, you're lukewarm and you're arrogant. You're cocky, you're dead, you're blah with me, and you don't think you need anything. Dude, how do you, how do you go from what Philip does here, God says go to a desert, he's like, okay, to what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2 or 3, 50, 60 years later. 
What do you learn from that? I mean, let me just tell you, here's what I believe, church. I believe that every church has to decide that they're going to be a group of people who obey Jesus. And every generation has to decide that they're going to be a group of people that follows Jesus. And you've got to make that decision not just once or twice, but you make it over and over and over and over and over again. And when you stop making the decision that you're just going to simply obey Jesus, when you just get used to ignoring what he says, or when you get used to just straight saying no to what he says, when, when your heart grows cold and it doesn't bother you and the command to love begins to like shrivel, when you get used to that, you begin to die. Listen, I, I think the way churches die, most cho- churches, I don't think most of them die because of conflict. I think many churches die. Many churches die by drifting from Jesus and just falling asleep. You just, it's slow. It gets comfortable. You kind of lay down for a nap as a church because you're exhausted and tired of following Jesus, and then you just simply never wake up. Man, church, I think I'd ask us a question, us a question in this room, not a generation ago, not even the people that were here a week ago, us today, here's my question. Are we going to simply just follow and obey Jesus or not? Now you may be sitting there going, well listen, if an angel showed up and said go to a road on I-10, I would just go do it, right? Like, that's easy for Philip to obey God. Angels showed up, right? Like, that's easy. Listen, don't fall for that lie. You have way more. Listen, all of us, we have way more revelation from God than Philip had. You actually have something clearer than an angel showing up and telling you what to do. You know what you got? You got this. I mean, you got the very words of Jesus here. And he's, he's been clear. He hasn't been confusing about it. Let, let, let me narrow it down in case you don't know what he's been clear. Let me lay out a few things. I'm just going to make them in big categories. Love him and worship him. Right? We know that's what he wants, that we would really and honestly love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and be a people that express that love through worship and obedience. But we know that command. How are we doing? How's our affection for him? How's our hunger for him? Like, have we just fallen asleep? When was the last time that there was something in you that was aching and burning just to be with Jesus and know him. And you said, I want him sometimes. You're going to open up the word and pursue him and love him. Or are we laying down and going to sleep and taking the command to love and worship Jesus is like, I remember when I did that when I first got saved. Remember that one time I obeyed that command. Are we actually obeying him with that simple command? Or he says to love one another. He says for the church to be in deep relationship and community with one another. How are we doing? Are we going to church that actually obeys what he says? Or are we just going to, eh, maybe I'll get to it when I have free time. Maybe I'll get to it if the people were more like me. Maybe I'll get to it if I didn't have history with these people. Maybe I'll... Maybe I'll get to it if I didn't, wasn't busy with so much other stuff. Like, 
Listen, Philip didn't say, yeah, I'll, I'll go down on that road in a week or two weeks. He didn't say, I'll go after this semester. He didn't say, I'll go down to that road when work dies down a little bit more. He just got up and went. Church, I believe that for many of us, we've learned to put it off or to stall or just straight up ignore it. What about his commands to serve the needy? What about his commands to share the gospel? Church, I, I, I can only go over a few of these, and the question for us is simply this. Are we going to obey God and what he's clearly told us or not? You don't need an angel. You, you've got the word, and I promise you, if you won't obey the word that you already know, you wouldn't obey if an angel showed up in your living room tonight. Because the issue is not that God hasn't made it clear. The issue is that our hearts just fall asleep. Church, let's not be a church that falls asleep. Let's not be a people that don't want to just get up and go with wherever he says it. So let me, let me jump in the passage. That was my little detour there. So here's what he does. I love it. Verse 27 of Acts chapter 8. So he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship. He, here's love. Here's this guy, this Ethiopian, in case you don't know, a little geography for you. Um, well, ancient geography. Uh, when they talk about Ethiopia in the Bible, it's probably talking in the area of Sudan, just south of Egypt. And here's this guy that's seriously influential in this major ancient kingdom. He's, he's over the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. Like this dude is a big deal. And this guy has traveled up to Jerusalem because apparently he wants to try to worship God. He's trying to figure this thing out. So, so Philip goes down and he goes out into the desert for one dude. God has Philip leave this massive crowd for one man. It's awesome. God leaves the 99 to go after the one. That's what he does. So, so Philip goes over there, and he's in the middle of the desert on the road, and this one chariot comes by. Let me read this. Verse 28, and he was returning, city, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So this guy's reading his Bible. The chariot had cruise control, apparently. Verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So here's Philip. One chariot comes by. The Spirit's like, go talk to that guy. And look at how Philip obeys. So here's what Philip does, verse 30. So Philip ran to him. Like, I love it. He wasn't like, okay, he didn't stroll. Like, this dude, like a raving lunatic, comes sprinting up to the side of the chariot. That'll make you lock the doors real quick. Like, why is that guy running up to my car? Like, he comes running up, and here's this dude sitting in there trying to figure out what's, he's reading the book of Isaiah. And here's what I love that Philip does. Here's what he does. And he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Here's why this stands out to me. Here's what Philip did not do. He didn't run up and go, God told me to talk to you. Like, oh, okay, we're going straight weird now. Opening, opening statement is I'm going to go creepy. Like, hey, I was over there. An angel showed up, told me to come and find you. I've got a message from God. Like, that wasn't what happened. Let me tell you what Philip did. He followed God, and he just showed up there, and he just listened. He listens. He, he didn't go into a canned presentation either. He didn't do the sales pitch. Like, hey, I've got two questions for you. If you were to die tonight, like, he, didn't, he didn't have that. He didn't have some script that he had rehearsed. He showed up, met this dude, and just listened. Hey, what's going on? What is happening in him right now? And then he heard the guy reading Isaiah, so he asked the question. Hey, do you, do you get what you're reading, bro? Like, that's all he did. There was, there was no pressure in this thing. There wasn't some cheesy gimmick. There wasn't a guilt trip. There wasn't a 
Do you know if you die or not, if you're going to be in heaven or hell? He didn't do any of that. He showed up and met this guy right where he was at. I I think I love this because I I think this is the way you're supposed to do mission, you guys. Uh, uh, Not that it's bad to learn some of these ways to present the gospel and to know how to articulate it. But our problem is the church has turned into this thing that we don't want to follow the Spirit. And we don't want to interact with real human beings on where they're at and what God's doing in their life. We've got a presentation we want to present. It's like we're selling something. It's, it's like you're part of a pyramid scheme. If I can just get you to show up over here. like We do all these things. And what we see in the Bible is people show up and they talk to a person and hear where they're at and see what God is doing. And they start with where they're at when they begin to present the gospel to them. It's, it's not canned. It's not forced. It's, it's normal. It's relational. It's still supernatural because God is working. And that's what Philip does. And and, and here's what I love. This dude's reading Isaiah. Look at this. Look at what, what the guy says in verse 31. And the Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I understand it? That's, he's answering that question. Unless someone guides me. This is crazy. Philip is showing up at this moment, and this guy's reading Isaiah. And so this guy, he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. Now listen to the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. And He reads this from Isaiah chapter 53, saying, Like a sheep that was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Let me just hit pause. That's the passage the guy's reading. Here's what you know. God is at work way before Philip even gets there. And if you think that verse is crazy, can I read the context of that verse for you real quick? Like, I, I want you to read. Philip, just imagine this. Philip is probably nervous. I'm about to go talk to them. I'm in the middle of the desert. I'm about to go talk to a stranger. I'm running up over there. Philip walks up, and here's what this guy's reading, Isaiah chapter 53. I'm going to read verses 2 through 6 for you. And, and don't tell me if this is not the easiest entrance into the gospel you've ever heard in your life. Verse 2 of Isaiah 53 This is what this Ethiopian eunuch is reading when Philip shows up. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Look at verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Can I just ask you a question? I, I just need to think about that. This dude's reading this, and all of a sudden, while he's reading this, Philip just happens to walk up and go, hey, bro, you get what you're reading? He's like, yeah, let me tell you this verse I just read. Like everything in that passage is screaming, let me tell you about Jesus. Church, here's what I, here's what I love about this. Like sometimes I think we're so afraid to engage people who are far from God with the gospel. And why, what I want you to know is God is working before you even get there. He's working before you get there. He's doing the work in the heart 
before you even show up. That, that should be good news for you. Don't, don't be afraid. You have no idea what's happening in the lives of your coworkers or in the lives of your neighbors or the lives of your classmates. And when God puts it in your heart to enter into a conversation with them, don't be scared. Be faithful that God is actually working. Be faithful that you're looking and saying, I think God's at work. He's, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to open up my mouth and see what God does. And this passage tells me that God is already working before Philip even gets there. You can be confident of that, whether you see it or not, whether you know it or not, God is already working. So don't be afraid to step out in faith and engage the mission. I think the other thing is this, that Ethiopian eunuch man, he's, he's looking to get to know God and God is already working before the Ethiopian eunuch even knows what's happening, right? So God moves the day before this eunuch even meets Philip to move Philip down to that road at just the right time. But listen, if you're here and you've been trying to figure out what is this deal with God, you're seeking God, you're trying to figure out, God, how can I get to know you? I want you to know he's working and he's pursuing you and he's calling to you. It, it's not an accident that you are here today. God wants you here in this moment to hear this message and I don't know what it would be. I just know as I'm praying and preparing, I feel confident that God's working in your heart in a way that I can't see or know and I don't want to manipulate. And if you've been running from God or you're trying to figure out what he is, I want you to know he's working and he's pursuing you. Don't just blaze past the people in your life who might be pointing you to Jesus. If you're here today and you've been just, just so-so about it and there's friends that are around you, don't, don't blow past that. God is working. Don't ignore it. Invite them up into the conversation. That's what this Ethiopian eunuch did. It's awesome. Let me hop back into this passage here. So here this guy is, and he invites Philip up. And here's, here's his question, verse 34. The eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and look at this. He's beginning with the scriptures. He told him the good news about Jesus. So he's like, all right, great passage. Let me talk about that. That's talking about Jesus. He tells him about how he died on the cross. So it talks about all the Old Testament. This guy's listening to this, and Philip doesn't even get to an invitation. Look at what happens here. Verse 36. So they're going along the road in the chariot, talking about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? I love this. Like, here's why I love this. This dude literally, he's hearing the good news, and God is working in his heart. There's no manipulation. There's no tactics. It's just God working. And I goes, okay, hey, just time out real quick. There's water. Let's do this thing. Like, I believe in Jesus. Let me get baptized right now. Like, church, I feel like sometimes we, we try sometimes in the church in the U.S. to manipulate and create all these moments it's like we're trying to create these moments. Like, well, I don't think God's at work, but if I can manipulate you, it'll feel like God is working. If I can scare you, it's going to feel like God is working. If I can guilt you or, or get you busy, it will feel like God is working. But here's the deal. When God is working in your heart, no one has to pressure you to say yes. You just say, okay, I want him. You know that moment, right? Like I, I remember the moment when I got saved. Like I, I did something when I was five. I don't remember it. But when I was in ninth grade, I, I remember it. I remember this thing that was happening in my heart. It felt like God calling me, saying, you need to trust me. You need to trust me. Something's off. Your heart is off. This isn't real. I remember that call. Do you remember that? 
Remember that moment when God was first stirring in you? I remember I grabbed my friend. No one had to come up to me and say, Fives, I got some questions for you. No one ever would have asked me. I, I looked good. I looked fine. But God was working in my heart beforehand. And I just grabbed a friend and said, hey, dude, listen, I, I need, can I, got five minutes? Because I'm not sure I'm saved. And I remember his response. Really? <laughs> like, like you? Like, here's the deal. I could have told my friend the gospel. I didn't even need him to tell me. I knew it. But he went over. Jesus died for you. And all you got to do is believe and place your trust in him. That was it. And I remember kneeling next to that bed in that room and praying and asking Jesus to save me. And I remember it was an immediate and automatic relief. It was this thing that God did something in my heart and I felt alive. You didn't have to twist my arm to love Jesus. You didn't have to say, man, you ought to be joyful right now, Fias. It just, just came out, right? Church, the way we have joy is we just respond to God working in our hearts. We just, he does a work and it comes out. There's a work and it comes out. And if there's nothing happening in here, and if I spend all my time with the church guilting you and pressuring you, shaming you, something will come out. But, but it won't be real. And it won't be sustainable. It won't be. It'll be something else. It'll be religious. It'll be fake. It'll be exhausting. Man, when God works, when he, when he really works, he helps me obey, and it's the real deal that comes out of me. It really is. That's what happens. So here's my question for you, church. My question is this. Like, do you want to be this people that, that just simply obey God like Philip are we these people who God does this work like he did in the Ethiopian eunuch and it just comes out of us? Or is the thing that gets you moving, is it, is it guilt? Is it shame? Is it pressure? Guys, none of those things will sustain it. And you may be sitting here today and the thing that's going on in your heart is you, you want to be in deep relationship. You want to obey Jesus. You want to experience worship. You want to experience real community. And, and, and listen, if that's you, if you've, if you've done that, that means you're taking, I believe that means that when God's working in your heart, you're already taking steps to get those things, right? You're doing it because you want to. Like, if you want to know Jesus, you probably already read your Bible on a regular basis. Is that fair? Why? Because you want to. If, if you want to be in deep relationship with the church, you've probably already tried to sign up for a community group. You've probably already tried to get together with people. You've probably already opened your home and invite people to a dinner table. or You've, you've already invited people to a meal because something in you wants to, and when we put it out in front of you, you're saying, oh yeah, he's working in my heart. I want that. Right? It's, it's simple. Like, that's not complicated. It's not an advertising scheme. It's not a guilt thing. I don't have to get up and pitch it to you 45 times and beg you to please sign up to be part of a group. Because what's coming out of your heart is love that wants to obey Jesus and be with these people. Like, right? And I'm not saying it all went easy. I'm not saying there were hurdles. But if you really want to, you've probably already done some of these things. If you really have a heart to see people around you place their trust in Jesus, you've probably already prayed for those unsaved friends. 
You probably already thought of ways to spend time with me. You probably already at least done an invite to get coffee or get lunch or hang out after t-ball practice. You probably already done that. Man, if that's you today, listen. I, what I want you to do is I want you to keep following Jesus and beg Him to throw gas on that fire so it turns into a blazing inferno in your heart. If that's you. But then my other question is for other. Others of you, maybe, maybe you're here and you're at church and you're saying, man, I, maybe I want to a little. Like there's like this, this spark. I mean, I mean, it's small. It's not that there's nothing there. There's this spark and it feels small and it feels weak. And you're like, man, I just, I, I do want Jesus, I think. It probably feels like that. Like it, when I hold it up to that standard, you just said that if I really loved Jesus, I would just go get him. If I really wanted to obey him, I would be in relationship. It just, but it feels weak and faint. But I believe there's something there. Like if that's you today, like there's this part of you, there's a, a small little ember. Listen, I don't know if you've ever done this. I've got a fire pit in my backyard. Uh, you can buy them from Home Depot. They're awesome little things. My kids love to make marshmallows. And it's always a nightmare if I cannot get that fire started, right? Uh, anybody ever had that shaming moment as a man when you try to start a fire for your family and you can't do it? Anybody? Okay, I'm the only one. Perfect. Uh, the rest of you men, you can teach me sometime how to start a real fire. But here's one of the lessons I've learned apart from don't use wet wire, firewood and use lots of gasoline. Um, like here's the deal. You start small, right? I got, I got little pieces that catch on fire easy. It doesn't take a lot, but it, it needs fuel. And I need dry wood that will catch, and it needs air, right? If I cram it all in there super, super tight, I will get smoke, but I won't get fire. It's, it's got to be able to breathe, right? And it's got to have fuel, but, but the source of the fire is not the fuel. And the source of the fire is not the air. The source of the fire is that little spark and that heat that's catching it. And if I, I can put all the wood I want and give it all the air I want, it ain't going to catch on fire until it gets heat, until it gets the spark. And listen, if God's already put that spark in you, you need to feed it with fuel. And you need to give it room to breathe. You need the spirit to be able to fan that thing onto fire, into fire. And here's what I mean by that. That means if there's a little spark, let me tell you the fuel that you add to that. If there's a spark for worshiping Jesus, you add time into the word, man. You just do. You, you, you got to add fuel. It's got, the spark has nowhere to go if there's no fuel in your heart and in your life. You gotta have prayer, you gotta have time. We listen to real good worship music and it, that little spark is catching on to fire as you're worshiping Jesus, whether it's in your car or in your living room or at a coffee shop. You, you gotta throw fuel on that thing. That's why we've gotten you things like Right Now Media so you can throw fuel on there. And you, you gotta give it room to breathe, man. You, 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 gotta, create these, you gotta create time slots, Right? Like if all you do, if you get up in the morning and it's boom, 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 and then you collapse on your bed at night, there's no room to breathe. Your mind was busy all day long with work and kids and issues and TV and news and social media. Listen, if you don't give the fuel and the spark oxygen, there's no room for it to move in your life. Listen, you want Jesus, you got to... 
you got to clear some space and give it room to breathe in you. Do, do you see that? Let me just tell you, man, this thing will suck up every last bit of oxygen you got. I'm not telling you your phone is sin. I'm telling you, if you want time, you got to put that thing down. You got to turn it on silent. You got to, I mean, you got to breathe, man. You, you got to give it room to breathe. You, you got to hit pause and you got to spend time with God. Listen, you, you want to be in community in the church? You, you got to get with people in the church. You, listen, you want to obey that and there's a little spark to really obey Jesus. You will never have community if you never actually get with people in the church. Y'all, this is not rocket science, you guys. It doesn't take a PhD to figure that out, right? You can say, I don't have community. I don't have community. I don't have community. Like, okay, are you with anyone in the church? No, no, but I don't go to Sunday school. I'm not in a group. I've never invited anyone into my house. I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. That's crazy. Like, well, you're never gonna have community in the church. It doesn't matter how big the spark is in you. It, you won't. There's no fuel. Listen, the fuel is that what happens, you get together with other people that know and love Jesus. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying that's fuel for the Spirit to work. You gotta be there. You can't be there and be hidden. You know what I mean? That's not, that's not really being there. You know, like you show up to the group and you're like, you're sitting in, not gonna say a word. You're not gonna talk. If they get something out of me, it's the most shallow stuff they could ever get. They're not gonna know me. They're not gonna hear from me. I'm never gonna share what I think. I'm never gonna share my burdens. I'm never gonna let them know the real me. That's too risky. Listen, if that is you, you will never have community in the church. You, you just won't. You, you gotta give it fuel. And you gotta give it room to breathe. Don't just show up and all of a sudden after one week in a group, Boom, community, <laughs> right? Like it, it, it's got to have time. You got to let the spirit fan that thing into flame as you get to know each other and you learn how to be friends with one another. You learn how to be, to encourage one another, to know and love Jesus, how to bear one another's burdens, how to speak the good news to each other. You got to give that time to breathe. You got to let the spirit work in your midst. Like, listen, Church, if we want to be a people that obey and know and love Jesus, if, if you're there and you feel like you got just like a little spark, you need to give that spark fuel and you need to give it room to breathe. That's one group, but then I'm concerned there's another group in here. Like, yeah, some of you are here and you're like, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm obeying him. You say, God says it, I go, and it may be small, but there's a little fire burning and I'm going to keep doing and asking Jesus to throw gas on that fire. And others here, you, you got a little spark, just a little still a spark, man. But then my concern is for those of us who are here and you may have been in church your whole life or this may be the first time you've ever been in church. I don't know. But you don't even have a little spark. Like it's dead. And it's cold. And it's never been alive. And if that's you, put down your image. Forget about that. Like, Right now, God's giving you a chance. He's calling you and inviting you into relationship with him. And let me tell you how you take that cold, dead heart and you see it catch on fire. You can't light your heart on fire. Jesus does that. There's this thing that's happening to you right now where you're feeling this call, this thing saying, man, I, 
I, I want to really know him. I just, I've got so much shame or so much guilt, so much bad that I've done. Or maybe I've just been so good and nothing has ever worked. Here's what Jesus says. He says this, if you will repent of trying it your way, repent of trying to earn this. You just place your trust in what Jesus did on the cross for you. If you believe that he died on the cross, he says this, uh, if you believe that and ask him to save you, he'll come into your heart, he'll give you a new heart, he'll make you alive, he'll forgive you of all your sins, and he'll let you enter into a relationship with him. The way your heart gets any kind of fire at all is by placing your trust in Jesus. And if you've been skimming past that your whole life, don't do it anymore. I would encourage you today, in this moment, to place your trust in Jesus and ask him to save you. I want to guide us in a time of response. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? In this moment, I just want to give you time to do business with God. Listen, I feel like this passage should challenge us that are we going to be a people that just simply obey God when he speaks? Are we going to be a church that just simply does what God has said clearly in his word or not? And if there's something that God's been putting on your heart, if you felt today, man, he's, he's calling you. You've got to fan that spark into flame. You've been sleepy and tired. Can you just simply ask him to help you with that? Listen, if, if for you the thing that's been going on is, man, you, you are seeing God work. You are feeling that, that fire begin to burn. Would you just spend a moment right there saying, God, I want more. I want you to work more in my heart. I want, I want to know you more. I just want to obey when you say clearly. Would, would you ask him to make that little fire turn into a blazing bonfire for him? Where your heart just burns white hot for Jesus. Maybe for you, you're here today, and that last part we talked about, there's nothing in you. But you're feeling a call right now in this moment to place your trust in Jesus. Can, would you just do that right there in your seat? Would you just ask him to save you and tell him, hey, God, I'm not going to do it my own way. I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. I believe he came back to life three days later. And God, I'm just asking you to save me. I, I got nothing. I need you and only you. Whatever God called you to, whatever it was, just follow him. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to sing another song. And during that song, you can, you can do whatever you want. You can... Do business with God in your seat. If you want to pray up front, you can do that. If you speak one of the pastors, we'll be down front. We'd love to talk to you. If you just want to worship God for being gracious and strong and being awesome, you can do that as we sing this next song. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, God, I pray for us as a church. I pray for us as a people. God, you see every individual in this room. You know exactly what we need. God, I pray you would meet us. I pray you would help us to love you and trust you and follow you. God, I, I pray that we'd be a people that would just simply obey you.
by the power of your gospel, you'd help us to do it. You would just help us to obey you out of the heart, God, not out of anything else. God, for the people here whose faith feels small and weak, I, I pray you would help them to fan that into flame. I pray you would take that small spark and you would cause it to burn. God, give us deep joy and happiness and grace and peace. Give us love. God, I pray you would do a work that only you can do in our hearts and you would take that little spark and make it burn. God, if there's anyone here that needs a place or trust in you, I, I pray you help them not to be afraid of what other people think. I pray they would listen to your call. I pray they would trust you, God. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.